Welcome back, folks. It's Chase and Josh of Factor Fantasy. That's Chase. I'm Josh. We're here to give you a standalone movie episode where today we are going to tackle the Marvel film The Eternals. I know last week we finished up season two of The Mandalorian. This week we are shifting into something new. We're going to try keeping this same sort of schedule going where we'll tackle some series and then a standalone film. So that way it's not like we're doing too many arcs in a row. And that's exactly why we want to touch on this today. It has now been a couple weeks since this film has aired. So I want to give the disclaimer now. If you have not seen it, that's on you. There are going to be a lot of spoilers. We're going to a high level summary of the film. So if you want to stop listening now, now is the time because we are going to go through what happens in the Eternals, what we think about it, and some debates that we're going to hold towards the end. Before I get started with that summary recap, I'm going to turn it over to Chase to say some words and we're going to get this show on the road. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting film. <laughs> I'll pretty much leave it at that. Uh, Jay Nelly's going to hit the hit the summary for us today. Jay Nelly's great at like the one-shot summaries and he's great at sticking to facts where, you know, I'll jump on some tangent that everyone wants to hear because they can laugh their ass off for 30 minutes. But that's mainly what the debates are for in this one. But uh, great stuff, man. I actually did have the privilege, um, won't say how, I saw this movie actually in June before it came out. Um, ironically, I thought it'd be a little bit different when I saw it again, uh, thinking they might have changed some stuff, but they didn't. <laughs> so, but it was it was cool. It was it was cool to say uh, that I got to see it before it aired, and uh, me and Jay Nelly, you know, uh, toss each other off, toss things back at each other, back and forth, and our thoughts. Um, so it was, it was kind of cool, but I love the cast. So that's what I'll say. I love the cast. If you like Game of Thrones and Tomb Raider, um, you know, you might enjoy this one. <laughs> I'll send it back over to Jay Nelly. Sounds good, man. And honestly, yeah, like, like the cast is a big part of this. And I think that might go into these, the reason why maybe it didn't live up to the expectations that the audience held for it. So without giving anything else away, I'm going to kind of jump into it right from the very beginning. Before we do this, let's get a little malice in the chalice cheers. I'll, I'll tap this up here. I'll go ahead and give the cast and who they are because I think that is a big thing that's hard to follow just from the jump because there's 10 main yeah. ca- characters that you have to follow somehow. So I'll go ahead and cheers here with Malice and Chalice. Cheers. I'll jump into the, the, chalice, the main characters baby. and go right into the summary recap. So here we go, man. Let's do it. Mm. All right. So, there are 10 Eternals. 10 of them, (laughs) all right? The first one is played by Angelina Jolie. Her name is Thena. The second one's name is Ajak, played by Selma Hayek. The third one's name is Druig, played by Barry Keoghan. The fourth one is Icarus, played by Richard Madden. Fifth one, Cersei, played by Gemma Chan. Or Chan. Sixth one is Gilgamesh, played by Don Lee. Seventh one, Sprite, played by Leah McHugh. Eighth one is Makari, played by Lauren Ridloff. Eighth one, I'm sorry, ninth one is Kingo, played by Kumail Nanjiani. And the tenth one is Fastest, played by Brian Tyree Henry. 
So already off the top, there's a lot of characters that we have to follow, right? And so to kind of jump into the summary of what we got going on, we have this almost like a Star Wars like intro where it has got words playing that are going up before the action sequences start. And just to paraphrase and summarize it, basically in the beginning of time, before the six singularities and the dawn of creation, came the Celestial. And er a Celestial named Erisham is the prime celestial. So Erisham sent the Eternals to destroy the Deviants on multiple planets, Earth being one of them, right? So to get down to Earth, we see a round table and there's a bunch of people gathered. There's like this golden sphere and the leader, Ajak, who's again played by Selma Hayek, it comes like into her chest and all we hear is it's, she tells them it's time and they all walk to the wall and get suited up. At that point, we get introduced to Icarus, who's kind of like the strongest, or in a way, the lead. Like, like Ajax is a leader in terms of like, letting people know what their jobs are. But Icarus is kind of the lead in terms of he's got the strongest abilities and he's got that presence that he makes you feel safe and, and around him. Like, he's the number one guy, even though he may not be the leader of the group. And he is played by... Richard Madden, which again ties into old works of ours here. Your boy. Of uh, Game of Thrones. My guy, Rob Stark. Great to see him on screen again. The last time we saw him was at the Red Wedding when he was getting shot down by bolts <laughs> from the phrase of fucking the twins. And I'm glad that uh, we get to see him back on uh, scene. And we get this, this little message in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen that it is 5000 BC in Mesopotamia. We see this guy that's kind of fishing, and he gets taken out by this weird alligator, dog, dragon combo. And we find out that those are called deviants, right? So he kind of gets taken out by a deviant. Uh, it starts eating him, and it's about to start getting to the other little boy that's at the shore. But the Eternals jump in, and they fight the monsters. We start to see some of the powers of some of the Eternals. We see that Icarus is able to shoot lasers out of his eye like superman we see some have got like flash speed one's got like superhuman punching power like you know it's just it's kind of all scrambled up here a little bit but it's at the very beginning so we're, we're hopeful that some things will be explained right well we'll see <laughs> but anyways <laughs> uh it, it's cool because we kind of see this this ship but like a sky ship right like like a like a, a solar ship appear out of the sky like it was invisible before and all the rest of the Eternals come out again. So that would be you know, Athena, Ajax, Juig, Icarus, Circe, Gilgamesh, Sprite, Makari, Kingo, and Fastus. So now all of them are out on the beach and they're taking out these deviants, fighting all this stuff. We get to see some, again, you know, more of the powers that are shown. We see one of the Eternals has the power to get into the minds of the natives or other people, and that, that Eternal's name is Juig. He's able to do that. Uh, we see Ajax, again, played by Selma Hayek. She's able to heal wounds. Uh, you know, Cersei, she's able to turn outdated, this outdated spear into a modern weapon and hands it back to one of the villagers after they take out the deviants. So you can see, like, people can. Like, Cersei is able to change the construction of certain things, uh, and that's going to come to play huge later on. But then it cuts all, like, randomly right from there to present day London. So now we're in present day London, <laughs> and we see that Cersei the one that was able to kind of change the composition of certain objects into something else. She's running late to a class. You know, she like runs into the classroom and then we get to see another blast from the past. Our boy, Jon Snow 
Uh, he's in there. He's trying to like do his best to hold off until she gets there, talking like in circles with these students. But uh, we learn his name is Dane. And we find out later what Dane's last name is. And I'm talking later as in the after credits is when we find out what Dane's last <laughs> name is. And that's the big surprise probably of the whole film. And I won't give it up here. So That's the only part I liked. <laughs> the one that there. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sorry. We, we get <laughs> this. <laughs> we get this class lesson. We learn that apex predators. Why they're called apex predators is that they don't have anything in their natural habitat that hunts them. I think that's going to be important going forward as to what apex predators are in Earth right now, especially with the introduction of these Eternals, of these Deviants, all this stuff going on. So I thought that was important to notate. All of a sudden, we hear this. This thing starts shaking. We see the screen moving and stuff falling from the ceiling, and it's it almost seems like an earthquake, right? They they say like this earthquake hits, and you know for all intents and purposes it could be an earthquake, but we see a little bit later on what came from this earthquake, what things uh, started happening after this quote unquote earthquake took place, right? So one of the deviants that we saw from the very beginning of the film, like the one that like ate that one fisherman. He pops his head out of the water just a little bit, eye to eye, and we see it looking at the dog on the shore. And I thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, we had kind of look at these deviants. They look like a mixture of dogs, alligators, and dragons all at the same time. I don't really know exactly what they were supposed to look like, but that's kind of what they looked like. And I thought it was interesting that they, they you know, came face to face with one of the dogs. But anyways, it, it cuts to this party, and it's Cersei's boyfriend Dane's birthday. Cersei actually gives him like a family crest ring from the Middle Ages. I thought that was really cool, and I honestly thought this was going to play a big part going forward. Well, little did I know it didn't, so <laughs> anyway, I don't want to ruin anything there. But uh, basically what ends up happening is they have a great time, and Dane asks Cersei to move in with him, but she declines that proposition. You know, she doesn't think it's the right time. And we see like the, the little kid... We call it a little kid, but think about it. These Eternals have been around for, we saw in the very beginning, 5,000 BC Mesopotamia. We learned later on it's about 7,000 years in total. So, like, this quote-unquote kid named Sprite is one of the Eternals, and she, you know, tells him, tells her, like, why don't you just move in with him? Like, he's not going to be around forever. Just you know, help make his life happy or whatever. But anyways, uh, we start to see... Dane catches on to strange things happening around Cersei and around Sprite. And that's when one of the deviants attacks. And he gets Dane gets to see Cersei's power firsthand. Right? We get to see start things things happening that's like, whoa, what's going on? Like she's able to turn the the ground into like quicksand and then re-turn it into ground to like, keep the deviant stuck. Like, he's like he knew something was going on, and then very, very soon after he gets a first hand look at it. Uh, we get to see Sprite. Sprite has some multiple powers. One of them is to multiply their people, and you don't know which one's the real them and which one's just like a fake clone thing that she made out there. Uh, and then we get uh, something very interesting on screen. Icarus himself shows up to save the day. Again, our boy Rob Stark from Winterfell. Uh, <laughs> he shows up and starts using his power to take out that one deviant. But the crazy part about this, even though he hits it with the laser eyes and like broke a part of it off, we start to see this he this deviant is able to heal itself, and we're kind of sitting there like, "Whoa, what's going on?" Because this was not one of the powers the deviants had at the very beginning of this movie, so something's changed. And this is the part where we've got a blast from the past, 
any sort of fancy fiction like fanatic you probably got excited about this one moment because we have Jon Snow and Rob Stark on screen together at the same time since Game of Thrones season one right like Fuck this yeah, is the very baby. first Fucking time slay. <laughs> like, by the way excited. just a side note I think it's a little weird two Starks or have Cersei in between them <laughs> just throwing that out there <laughs> just saying just saying I think it's a little weird, but whatever. I'm not the writer, so. <laughs> it was Someone a little interesting. definitely had Game of Thrones syndrome, and I know Cersei's, like, technically a character in comics, but I'm just throwing that out there. Isn't it, too, it's a little strange, because they all acted like he had never seen Rob Stark, Ic- Icarus, before, and then it's secretly, like, in their minds, oh, it's you again. <laughs> it's you again. After you, brother. Yeah, I thought that was cool. It was great to see him on screen together again for the first time since season one of Game of Thrones back in, what, 2011, I think it was. So 10 years mm-hmm. it took for him to be back on set in the same screen. And I don't know, maybe there are some individual movies that they showed up in that didn't hit the mainstream that I may be missing. But I think this is the first time they've ever seen on screen together for the first time since Game of Thrones. But anyways, we get to see another one of Sprite, like the child looking Eternals abilities, and she's able to turn them invisible too. And this is going to be kind of be a problem that I see going on forward. Like we see all these kind of powers, but we've got like no idea who can do what or why they can do them or anything. So like, I don't want to get anything away, but it's kind of a, you know, we're starting to see just things happening. It's like, okay, well, why is this happening? But anyways, moving on. Dane asks why the Eternals didn't help fight Thanos. And apparently they were instructed to stay out of any human conflict unless it included deviants. So we get like a, a, a bullshit explanation of why this happened. <laughs> I, it really made no sense. And we're going to kind of get into some of the things later on. But anyways, you see like 5,000 years together of Cersei and Icarus, right? We kind of have an idea that they have had this romantic, you know, feeling shared interaction going back 5,000 years. But in the beginning of time, deviants would only hunt humans, and it was the Eternals' job to hunt the Deviants. Well, now the Deviants are hunting the Eternals instead of the humans. So there's there's a shift in power, a shift in balance, and we're left kind of wondering what's going on and why is it like that. Now, this is one of the weird things. It kind of, from this point, takes us into a flashback back to 575 BC in Babylon, and we see the Eternals fighting more Deviants. And we kind of get this point where Ajax has, again, that golden sphere. And what that golden sphere does, it signifies her as the leader of the Eternals and allows her to communicate directly with Erishim, the prime celestial that was kind of mentioned in the very, like, pre... Like, I don't want to call it prequel, but like the, the before the movie started, the little thing on screen, and we kind of get that, that full circle there. Well, Ajax herself, she starts to get... And or gain an attachment to Earth, which I think is going to be a little bit of a foreshadow. But uh, Ajax tries to tell Erishim, like, there's no telling what wonders they will discover, talking about humans, as they advance. And we're going to start to see what's so different from 575 BC Babylon to present day, right? So it's, it's, it's kind of cool. And then we kind of get back to this, you know, ancient time period, like back in like a, that 575 BC in Babylon, and people trading goods for services and we start to see one of the other Eternals, Makari, and she's deaf, but she can feel vibrations. And like these hustlers try to screw her over and think that she's not, she doesn't know what's going on. 
but she catches them in some bullshit and I thought that was pretty funny that she was able to call them on that um and while that's all going on, you start to see she has this in- interaction with Druig, and you start to see some sort of connection building between Druig and Makari. From there, it takes us over to Icarus. He approaches Ajak, and basically Ajak gives Icarus the blessing to tell Cersei how he feels. Right? They're stuck on Earth for who knows how long, so Ajak's like, yeah, like, we don't know where we're at. Like, let's draw some happiness from where we can before we got to continue fighting these damn things until Arison says that's enough, right? So Icarus ends up t- telling Cersei how he feels, and they kiss, and they have sex in the sand, and they confess their love for each other <laughs> out in this area. But this specific area is super important because it's going to come up into play later on when a certain revelation is made, too. So like this, this part in the movie actually is important to pay attention to, not just because this is where Icarus confesses his love for Cersei and they you know connect with each other there, but like this is going to come up later on in the film too. And then from this point in time, this scene jumps to 400 AD in the Gupta Empire. And we see Cersei and Icarus get married. But it's very a very quick scene. It just shows them kind of getting married between each other. There we got like a priest or whatever in the background that's, that's performing the ceremony. Then all of a sudden it cuts back to present day. It's almost like a flashback in someone's mind like remembering on that day versus like an actual true flashback. And... These are some of the issues that we're going to bring up later on and why things make it, could be confusing for viewers, for sure. Anyways, we get, we get back to present day, and we're in South Dakota. They find Ajak dead, and Icarus says it was a deviant that killed her. Well, that's a bit of a foreshadow, because we'll see what ends up happening and why Ajak is found dead there at that little farm-looking thing in South Dakota. Uh, we learn that it's the first time in 7,000 years that one of the Eternals died. So now we know that at the very, very least, these people have been around for 7,000 years. So now we've got this weird, interesting fact that we're following 10 characters over 7,000 years of time. And like, like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> like, I have no like, attachment to any of. Them. Well, it's not even so much that at this point. It's more like, how the fuck can we keep up? Like, what? Like, where yeah. are you gonna throw in? Like, how is this gonna make sense? But yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But anyways, this the golden sphere that was in Ajak. Uh, well, first off, before that, like Sprite thinks the deviant that killed Ajak was able to absorb her healing powers because Ajak was the one that could heal people, right? And so we saw that that deviant. That Icarus attacked back in London to save Cersei, Dane, and Sprite. It was able to heal itself. Like Sprite comes up with this theory that the Deviant killed Ajak and was able to absorb her powers, and that does come into play pretty heavy later on. But to kind of go from where I was saying from there is like the, the Golden Sphere enters Cersei, and now she speaks with Erisham for the first time, and he tells her it's almost time, meaning that she's kind of the new leader now. Ajax dead, and it was you know, Ajax chose Cersei to be the new leader, and we're gonna learn why she chose Cersei versus Icarus versus other individuals in the Eternal Squad later on. But it's it's a pretty important thing to notate there. And then again, we just jump back in time right from that spot to 1521 in Tenochtitlan, which is like the Mexican city, and we see the city's on fire, and this is during the Spanish conquest of Mexico. So now we're just jumping back in time to see like the Spanish conquistadors take over Tenochtitlan in Mexico. Well, what we later learned is Mexico, whatever it was called before then, who knows. But uh, it was interesting because some of the things that happened there, I think one of the most important ones that comes into play later on is 
Athena, yeah. again played by Angelina Jolie, she kind of goes like if you guys remember Game of Thrones when there was a warg and they would flip their eyes back and it'd be just a white like like a full sphere in their eyes and they would look into the mm-hmm. mind of either a wolf or the eagle if you're Orin from the wildlings whatever it may be like the wargs brand that want to be king oh, of the whole sh- shit yeah right so like <laughs> it, it looked a lot like that when she her like eyes went blank and then she, what ends up happening is she ends up turning on the Eternals and says everyone is going to die and she attacks Makari Ajak and Gilgamesh like all by herself and you know and we start to see like it's almost like what's going on with her it's not her doing this on purpose she's not trying to overtake them there's some sort of illness that is causing her to lash out and attack the other Eternals in this way and that's something that comes up later on but I thought it was pretty cool here we get to see some of the power of Gilgamesh he hits Thena so hard that it knocks her unconscious and she comes back as herself like he kind of like cocks up like almost not like the infinity gauntlet that Thanos has but he does some sort of power thing like locks it onto his wrist and just boom like like hammer punches Thena down to the ground and, <laughs> and she like wakes up as like herself like oh wait hey I remember who I am now so we could we see like a little bit of Gilgamesh's power but again we don't really know where it derives from or like what's going on with it right so anyways at this point, Druig speaks out, and he takes matters into his own hands, and he controls the minds of the others to try to bring peace humanity. He tries to control the minds of the Spanish conquistadors and the natives of Mexico to like have them stop fighting and killing each other. And what ends up happening is Ajax tries to stop and tells him, like, hey, humanity's going to do what humanity does, and we've just got to stay out of it. And Druig tells her, like, if you want to stop me, you're going to have to kill me. And this is pretty crazy because now we're starting to get to the split between how different Eternals view things differently on what's important to each of them and where they need to go. And this is where Ajax tells them we, they all need to say goodbye to, to each other to go free on their own ways and terms since all the Deviants are supposedly gone. She wants them to go make a life for themselves because they're supposed to be stuck there until Erishram calls them home. The Prime Celestial calls them back home. So we don't know how long it's going to be, what's going to happen. It looks like all the deviants are gone, so Ajax tells him to go home. But Gilgamesh, he, he ends up taking a taking Thena under his custody. He even tells Thena that, uh, you know, I'm going to watch over you. And Ajax tells Gilgamesh, one day you may have to kill her. Because she goes rogue sometimes. Like Her mind freaks out, and like, she goes into that weird trance and tries to attack the other Eternals. And I thought this was going to be a foreshadow too, but... We'll learn later on. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> uh, the scene takes us back to present day in Mumbai. And we see this really cool kind of cultural dancing music video that's being shot. And you know, we kind of get into the music, vibing, and dancing. And what ends up happening, like the director who has the, the video camera doing everything, they, we see like Icarus, Cersei, and Sprite show up. And the director's like, oh, I know you guys are Eternals. And they're like, wait, what? Like, how would you know that? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> our guy Kingo told the, told his director everything and what to expect if anyone showed up like that. So apparently he's just giving secrets away for free. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> so anyways, Kingo arrives back on scene. He's one of the original Eternals that I went over on the big list of 10 that we've got to keep track of in this two-hour movie, two-and-a-half-hour movie. But... Uh, <laughs> They end up telling Kingo that Ajak is dead and that she was killed by a deviant and that the deviants are back, but they don't know how many there are. And this is, again, where we see that Cersei shows she can, again, change the compositions of objects. Mm -hmm. Now, what's kind of cool 
because then now we're on this kind of plane where they're all back together and Kingo takes the director with him. Uh, we learn from Sprite that Kingo actually abandoned Sprite in Macedonia. So we're starting to see all these crazy historical events that happen, right? Babylon, Tenochtitlan, Macedonia, uh, all these things, and like the Eternals all have a play in them. And I get what they're trying to do, but in a way, like again, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna go through the summary first and get into that later. I just, I just want everyone to kind of keep up and really understand what we're seeing here on screen. So we learned that again, Kingo abandoned Sprite in Macedonia. So there's some sort of friction between Sprite and Kingo. And then it, it jumps to present-day Australia. Then we walk up into this area here where there's a house in the background, and in the front yard, there's just another dead deviant laying there. It just, it's just dead deviant, just chilling in the front yard. Don't really know what happened. Anyways, but they end up going up to the residence there, and it ends up being Gilgamesh, right? One of the other Eternals. He's supposed to be watching over Thena. And while this is going on, like you see in the background, Thena's very much like one of those scary movies that you see with a child just randomly drawing scribbles on the paper, and you see like really mm-hmm. weird things happening. That's kind of what Thena's doing. She's just writing scribbles on paper, going crazy because the Deviant attack kind of put her back into one of those weird states where you know it kind of took her off her homeostasis, right? So like, the, like the attack, she took it pretty hard. Uh, but also Gilgamesh took the news that Ajax was dead pretty hard as well. Because remember, Ajax was kind of their leader and gave Gilgamesh the authority to watch over Athena. So, anyways, the attack of the Deviant that Gilgamesh killed in the front yard triggered Athena. And like I said, she's drawing a crazy person and then tries, again, goes back into this weird trance and tries to attack the other Eternals. And that is when Sprite changes the setting of where they're at and tries to get Athena to remember who they are and where they came from. And it ends up kind of working in a way. But again, like... Where are these powers coming from? How did they develop these? Like, who has what abilities? Like, no one knows. It's just things are fucking randomly happening. We just got to accept it as they go on. I don't know. But anyways, um, and they have a nice little feast together. It's all enjoyable, all great. Uh, and this is where this starts tying into uh, past works of Marvel. Sprite says, and this is a quote, Now that Captain Rogers and Iron Man are gone, who is going to lead the Avengers? Right, so mm-hmm. now we kind of get a timeline. This is after the events of Endgame, where Thanos is gone, and you know Iron Man's dead, and Steve Rogers is that old man who gave up his shield. So we kind of get a timeline of where this is happening with the Marvel timeline, at least. It's yeah. after Can all I of say that. Something real quick? Sure, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say uh, one thing uh, that they said earlier, because this brings up a good question that you brought up to me the other day. Like, why didn't they get involved with Thanos? And that's because, I guess, you know, they were instructed to only attack Deviants. But, yeah, I guess that's where this is all kind of, like, coming together here. So, just wanted to clear that up for the audience in case they forgot what you said earlier about, like, Thanos. Which, like, is interesting because we know what happened with Thanos and why it was negatively affected on something that's going to happen here. So, it's like... If, if we knew if Thanos succeeded, it was going to negatively affect what 
was supposed to happen, why wouldn't they jump in and stop that from happening? It was a complete contradiction. But anyway, like, wouldn't like fifty percent of them be wiped out too, well, or technically because they're not from the Earth? I don't know, man. I'm just gonna keep going with this thing, and we'll talk about this. <laughs> just I- saying, everyone else had fifty percent wiped out. You would have thought at least five of them would be gone, but what do I know? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> After you, brother. Yeah. So just to get back into it, right? Um. After that happens, Cersei takes a look at Thena's drawings. I said they're kind of like a crazy person's drawings. And that's when Cersei is able to kind of speak to uh, Erisham again and tells Erisham, the Prime Celestial, that Ajax was killed by a deviant. And Erisham tells her, well, it's time to learn the true purpose of the mission. Now, this is where this all kind of, I guess, not comes full circle, but we get an understanding of what's going on and why these Eternals were introduced to Earth in the first place and where the Deviants came from. But Erisham planted celestial seeds in all the planets and that what ends up happening on these planets is like they have to have whatever's there progress enough to that like it draws enough energy for an emergence to occur. And when emergence occurs, a new celestial is born and it, as it expands out, and is born from the earth or whatever planet it's on, it destroys that planet because it's much bigger than a planet itself. And that's why it needs so much energy over thousands of years to be able to be born from that seed and pop out of it and explode that planet that it's on and be a celestial. So that's kind of what we learned from it. And Erisham even says, the end of one life is the beginning of another. Apparently that's supposed to be like, hey, this is for the greater good type bullshit. I don't know. And then we get this, <laughs> this kind of cool plot twist that we learn that there is no Olympia. Erisham shows her the real home where he built and programmed the Eternals. So apparently these these Eternals aren't gods. There aren't they weren't all there from the very beginning. Erisham created them in like a laboratory type thing. And it was just it's very strange. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> Cersei says at the time, it's like everything dies except us because we were never alive. Uh, that was pretty. That was a pretty powerful quote. But then we we learn what ends up happening is that after every emergence, the Eternals' memories are erased and reset. So there have been they've been bouncing from planet to planet to planet for who knows how long because every after every time emergence occurs, they are reset and sent to another planet to do the whole thing over again. So their lives are basically on a loop, and they are not real people. They're just their existence is a lie. It's just they're programmed to go to Earth, pretend to protect it against deviants, and with the energy that's built up and how the humanity like levels increase on it, eventually that draws enough energy for a celestial to be born out of the the planet and destroy it as it as it's born through an emergence. So, anyways, we also learn that the deviants were created also by Erishem. <laughs> and, and so like they, they were both basically the deviants are the flip side of the eternals meaning none of them are good none of them are bad they just were sent there to fight each other forever because that level of energy that's built up between the battles from eternals and deviants helps the emergence come along a bit quicker i it was very weird that that's what ends up happening so the deviants weren't actually the bad guys they were also brought there by the same people that brought the quote-unquote good guys and they're just supposed to be fighting each other for every planet until the end of time i don't fucking know but anyways. quick question on that because yeah, you might be able to clear this up for me i was i thought that the way it was being explained was so the deviants were created first but then they started attacking the humans 
So he's like, I need to create these Eternals to fight off the Deviants. No, what did I get up, that right? No, what ended up happening? Is, <laughs> I don't know. He he created he created stupid. the Deviants <laughs> to attack humanity in the hopes that humanity's technology would progress and they'd be able to do it themselves and defend themselves against Deviants. And when that started to kind of not go the way he thought it was going to go, like these Eternals were created to kind of assist humanity specifically and only against deviants and so, so they, what's they, the yeah that the, we'll get into that later so basically the point the point of it i know what you're, you're going at the point of it is that humanity's technology is going to improve over time to allow humanity to fight these demons mm. on their own that draws more energy the new technologies that are being brought up you know kind of where we were like, you know if we bring this into our actual real lives where we were in like let's say the 1700s with muskets and shit and now we've got fully blown <laughs> semi-automatic machine guns that mow yeah. things down at a million miles a second Right, so like with all that new Makes energy sense. being like you know, transferred into the earth, and what's putting it being put out there, it's it's it allows an emergence to move along a little bit quicker. So got it. Yeah. Anyways, I'm kind of jump back into it. We now learn that Cersei is the prime eternal because Ajax chose her. So Cersei comes back from her out of body talk with Erishim, and she flips the switch she just says hey we gotta stop this emergence thing we're immediately like it wasn't like at any time at all it's like hey i just had this talk with the prime celestial he sent me back but like now we gotta stop this guy like i don't like what <laughs> like i don't like all of a sudden you, you come to that conclusion and and this all-knowing intelligent being that just summoned you to wherever it was to speak speak in front of him isn't supposed to know you're gonna work against him now i don't know man like, it was very strange but anyways <laughs> um Kingo, like the guy who dances with the the director and everything, the other Eternal, uh, he says we have no right to stop the birth of a celestial. So we got some. We start to see this weird conflict that some people are on board with Erishim's plan, and some people are like, no, this is kind of fucked up. Like we gotta stop this shit. So it's kind of cool because this is gonna come. You know, it's gonna come to a head later on. And so then we jump to present day Amazon, like the Amazon forest, right? And they go and find Juig, and they give him the update of everything that's going on. And he himself says that their entire existence is a lie. And that's when, like, things start to happen a little bit. Uh, you know, Thena talks to Gilgamesh, tells him, thank you for always taking care of me. And Gilgamesh responds back to her, like, I would do it again on any planet. No, like, you know, because she's kind of like a faulty eternal in a way. Like, that's why she kind of, like, malfunctions. And, you know, she was made by Erishim. Like, like, uh, like uh, she's not just a goddess. Like, she was just an eternal created by a celestial. You know, so, like, again, their entire existence is kind of a lie, right? And this is where, uh, you know, we get this other, not not budding romance, but, like, uh, like, a, like a long-lost, like, like a, a wishful romance, I guess I will say. And this is where, like, Sprite, you see her kind of look longingly after Icarus, right? And then Kingo, again, the guy that does the dancing thing with the, the producer, the eternal that's, you know, in that the Mumbai dancing. He goes up to Sprite. This badass. That girl looked just like Jasmine, by the way, with that costume. <laughs> like Disney Jasmine, just throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, anyways, keep so, going. So, yeah, this, was, this isn't at the point in time where they're doing the dances or anything. I'm just, I'm just trying to like, explain exactly who's the one talking to Sprite is right now. Because, again, mm-hmm. they don't do a wildly good job of letting you know who's who like around the whole thing. It's very interesting. Anyways, like the guy Kingo, he tells Sprite, that Sprite herself is like Tinkerbell and Icarus is like Peter Pan. And that Tinkerbell never... Tinkerbell's in love with Peter Pan, but never ends up with him because, you know, she's kind of viewed as a child. Like, and, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much exactly what Sprite is viewed as. 
She was. She That's asked pretty why. much what a sprite looked like was Peter Pan. <laughs> no, I hate to say it, but it's true. Well, <laughs> that's the whole thing is that she asks why she was made this way, and the way that she was made to give you guys a visual representation. She was made as like it looks like a young child, and you know, guys, you have to remember she's seven thousand years old, but she looks twelve. Like, mm-hmm. and that's just the truth. And so, like, even though she's seven thousand years old, she can never draw like an only connection because all these other Eternals think of her as you know, a child to them, even though she's just as old as all of them. It's how she was created. And she's upset that she was created this way. And I don't fucking blame her, honestly. <laughs> like, yeah, I'd be I, pissed. <laughs> it's really interesting. But anyway, so move on from that. We kind of have this cool part where Cersei gets Dane on FaceTime and tells him to make up with his uncle because we have this, you know, th- the, this idea that the world might be ending. If they're going to try to stop mm-hmm. this emergence from the Celestial and it's time and the, the emergence is going to start soon... The world's going to end. So she tries to tell him to make up with his uncle that he's had this fight with and been in a, I don't know, whatever. They haven't spoken in however long. Tries to get him to make up with his uncle. Um, but anyway, I thought, I thought that was kind of cool. Trying to get like the humanity play back into it because you know we've been following these Eternals for a little bit and through the movie. Uh, then we kind of get back to Icarus. And Icarus himself, he, he's worried because he even tells him, he's like, he's not strong enough to fight Erishim. And you start to wonder... If this insecurity that he's not strong enough to fight Erishim right here, is this something that he's been thinking about for a long time? Is this like a, a deciding factor into why things end up with Icarus the, the way they end up? I'm not going to give everything away. I'm just going to say that. But anyways, after, right after he says those words, like a deviant snatches Icarus and flies off with him. And they're start, they kind of like battling each other in, in air as they get taken away you know, from the big group. And as he gets taken from the big group, the rest of the crew gets jumped by a bunch of deviants. So now we've got the Eternals fighting the Deviants in present-day Amazon, but the new Deviants, the one that's got these new powers. And that comes up a little bit later on. So we've got this really badass battle scene. And then, of course, at the worst possible time, Thena, she goes rogue again. She gets those eyes that turn milky white, gloss back, and starts to attack the, the Eternals again. And Gilgamesh has got to kind of step in or whatever. Um, and I thought this part was kind of funny here, too. As she's doing that, we get a cut back to, to Druig. And he has to make a decision, and, and he lets up his control of the village that he had and, and tells them to get to the river. So, Druig, he, from the, remember if you guys remember where we left off when Ajak had told him, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes ago in the film that this is where we all say goodbye and live our own lives. Like, he was telling her, like, I, I'm going to stop this all from happening. I can take control of people's minds, and you're going to have to kill me to stop me from making peace on Earth. Well, he kind of did that in his own little way. He kind of had his own village going, you know, through mind control, and they're all living peacefully and harmoniously. You know, he has to make the decision now to let these people go because these deviants are attacking, and I thought that was pretty cool. But <clears throat> the funny part is is that we have this the, the, the big battle scene, and then Kingo, the one that brought the director along with him, who I thought this was pretty funny, too. As this yeah. movie has progressed... He, like, he had so many different video cameras, and they kept getting broken one way or another. He's like, good directors always have a backup. And so he had like <laughs> he had the guy hiding behind like a tree, and then something cool happened, and Kingo did something really like badass, and they took out a deviant. And he goes, and Kingo says to uh, the producer, he's like, did you get that? And the director says, <laughs> and the director says I did, sir, I did. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. So it's just really funny that you know he's, he's getting the job done at all costs, the producer guy getting all the... Uh, all the stuff on video so that was pretty cool but then um, this is where we get this really special magic from Cersei 
you know, she she ends up getting to this point, boils over in power, and ends up being able to turn a deviant like into a tree. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's, this was the point it fucking lost me. I was like, I'm fucking done. <laughs> Where the fuck is Groot? Like, please, dear Lord, save the day, Groot. Where are you at? Where are you at? Please get this girl off the screen. I don't uh, know. I'll let you take it. Yeah, take it was it, just weird. Like, this weird special magic that turns the demon into a tree. It's going to come into a foreshadow because they're going to try to want her to use this type of power later on. I'm not going to say anything there. But then from that point, we get this deviant. That is, like, you know, the one that's remaining is sucking out Gilgamesh's power. Remember, like, the, like Deviant was able to suck out Ajax's power. Well, we think that, you know, he was able to do healing power. We're not going to be able to give anything away yet because it's coming up here pretty soon. But, like, one of the Deviants in the very beginning was able to use healing powers. And there's only one Eternal that could use healing powers. So we kind of get an idea of what happened there. And now we're starting to see this deviant sucking out Gilgamesh's powers and we get this weird Pokemon evolution thing and now we got this deviant that is standing up has a has a face now can walk and talk as opposed to being just a weird dog alligator dragon looking thing I don't know what's going on there but yeah I yeah go ahead man <laughs> can weird. I say a quick thing about that I just thought it was like Frieza in Dragon Ball Z where like she changes he changes form <laughs> he's like this is my perfect form now Another side note, I thought it was funny when uh, Kingo or whatever, he, uh, you know, he got in an argument with Druig like a, a little while back, and then he says, no, I'm a director now. And he said, what have you directed? And he said, some internet content. And he goes, how many views? <laughs> so I thought it was funny, but I thought the thing looked like Frieza or something in Dragon Ball Z. It was very strange. Back to you, man. Yeah, and that Deviant says, in quotes now, since they can walk and talk and all this weird shit, it says, you are not saviors, you are murderers. And so at that point in time, we get the little cut over to where Athena's holding Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh dies. Uh, we have this cool funeral pyre, very much like in the old Game of Thrones things. When a person died, they got to put him on <laughs> the, the, the whole wooden pyre and they set it ablaze and send them off. But uh, only there is no cool speech by Jon Snow in this movie that they missed out on. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. <laughs> no good speech at all. There <laughs> zero good speeches. <laughs> but uh, this, is, this is where Druig, the guy that can control people's minds, says that Deviants and Eternals are basically the same. And they pretty much are. They're made by the same person. Their point is to attack the other just like Eternals is to attack the Deviants. Like, they were created to do the same thing, to draw energy into this planet to help the Celestial Emergence. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and this is where they kind of come up, they try to come up with a plan of how they're going to try to combat the Celestial. And Druid even says, like, you're asking me to get into the mind of a Celestial. I do not have this power. And this is where it cuts to... Hiroshima back in the world wars where the atomic bomb was dropped all of a sudden we we're just cutting back over there and they apparently the, the United States had used fastest technology to blow up Hiroshima and that's what the atom bomb was so it's it's apparently like the atom bomb was because of fastest like, why did they want to choose that like just throwing that out there like out of all things like this is what you want to choose by the way quick note i did think it was cool when druid because we're talking about him now he like i thought it was very creative the way he warged into those people and they were shooting the thing with shotguns 
I thought it was cool. Back to you. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like, talking about the Hiroshima like portion of this where we're at right now is that I just it was so fast and it was just like it. Basically, what this movie wants wanted us to know is that these beings were here through all these major events in history. Like that's basically what the running theme of it was. But like as soon as we got that little thing of where Fastus is like on his knees, like crying because his his uh, technology, technology right was able to cause this kind of harm to humanity. It just it does that, and then it cuts right back away immediately back to present day in Chicago. And, you know, we really learned, like, obviously the mission was never to make a peaceful, harmonious world. And then we show up to, you know, Fastest's, well, I don't know, house in Chicago. Out in the, I don't know if it was in the city or the <laughs> suburbs. It's like but. little boys playing basketball and shit. And you're like, dude, like, we just cut, like, a hundred years. <laughs> like, we jumped another hundred. Yeah, don't so, I don't know, man. It was weird. But anyways, like. Uh, they he and they end up being in, in Fastus's house and they're talking to like the you know Fastus's husband and the child that they adopted and all this stuff and you know it's Icarus is in there and Cersei's in there as well and they Fastus basically tries to convince them that he's left all of the Eternals nonsense behind like he doesn't use his powers anymore hasn't used them since that atom bomb dropped I guess is what he was trying to convince them and that's when like. He like attacks like the window. He, like Icarus, like you makes a move towards the window, and you see like there is some sort of magic protecting the house that Fastest used with the technology that he's able to produce. And you know he's like, oh, so you know you haven't used your powers, huh? Like we we you know how is this protected then? And he's like, I bet this table or whatever like is able to withstand whatever. And he ends up smashing the table with his fist, but like it was actually just a table. <laughs> I thought that was actually kind of funny, and I wrote down like the quote there. Or he he said, "What what is this table?" and smashes it, and then Faustus looks at him and says, "Fall collection, IKEA." <laughs> Ass. That was great. <laughs> By the way, I did like the Star Wars Easter egg. Just side note, did you see that? The Star now, Wars. Tell book? tell him about the Star Wars Easter egg. Oh, uh, it, it was just pretty cool because uh, you know that's one of our franchises here. Go back to last week. Check out that episode. But yeah, Icarus picks up like a Star Wars coloring book and is like looking through it like, oh, like interesting. Like they're reading about superheroes and stuff now. And I just think it's cool because now you have like Game of Thrones picking up Star Wars, but also he's in Marvel. It's like all our franchises are colliding. It's great. It's kind of like like all the shit we're throwing together here is colliding into one in this film. <laughs> Back to you, man. Back to you. Yeah. <laughs> So then, like, Fastus basically tells him, hey, you're going to have to do this fight without me. I'm out. But Fastus' husband comes in and tells him, you know, you, you need to go and help these people. Like, when this is all done, you know, it's going to make a safer place for a child to grow up. So uh, now Fastus is on board, and they travel to present-day Iraq, and they resurrect this old ship from the sands, the one that was, like, the invisible thing that we saw in the very beginning, uh, you know, back in however many years that was at the very, very beginning. But... Um, they resurrect the old ship in the sand, and in there they find Makari. Like I don't know what she was doing all these years. Was she just chilling in there? Like, I've got no idea. <laughs> like none of us have any idea what anyone was doing, and that's kind of like the issue that we're having with this. Is that like she's just I don't know. Anyways, but anyways, Makari. If you guys don't remember, she was the one who was deaf and is basically the female Flash. Like she can like you know use super speed to get in and out of places, or whatever. And so on this thing, on this ship or whatever, we see Thena grabbing this sword and kind of using some cool movements and this is another piece of work that they try to derive this into we learn that that sword that she's using is Excalibur 
and Sprite says, Arthur always had a crush on you. Talking to Athena, saying like, I mean, that meaning yeah. that that's uh, a reference to King Arthur, like mm-hmm. you know, way back then too. So it's like, apparently, I don't know, man. I, it's they very, live forever, right? <laughs> I, and like that—that's the point. It's trying to show us these are Eternals who have been here since the beginning of time, but it, it's just too messy. And like, yeah, we'll get more yeah. into it later on. I don't. I just I'll just get through the rest of it. But like, yeah. quick side note, real quick, just uh, something we missed earlier. It's not that important, but uh, what's his little. Uh, like you know how they said like Alfred from Batman who's the little guy that helps out Kingo I can't remember his name I don't know his name either but he was like the director producer that like held some video cameras and just was following him around like videotaping everything yeah one thing I wanted to say is when they originally found Kingo he said uh, that guy whatever his name was originally thought he was a vampire and tried to stab him that's a little bit foreshadowing for much later on. Just a little Easter egg in there. So just throwing it in there. Back to you, man. Yeah, it was funny. Like, actually, it was a funny part where he, yeah. he tried to stake him way back in the day. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was it's actually a, sorry. calls uh, back into our that. old show that we did for Halloween. Uh, Van Helsing, you know, that, that was a little kind of wink to that. He thought he was a vampire trying to stake him through the heart. So it seems like all this is kind of trying to tie into everything that we've ever done and It'd be, it'd be great <laughs> if it was like done cohesively and like in an order that made sense but whatever anyways um like i said we talked about that king arthur reference then fastest goes through this method and comes up with this theory that if they can absorb each other's energy and form a unimind they may be able to create something that could rival a celestial's power and they leave the decision up to cersei because ajak is the one that chose cersei to be the new leader and there's a reason why she didn't choose Icarus, who is supposed to be the most powerful of them. And this is where this comes in. We get this cool full circle moment here where Icarus steps outside and like she kind of follows him. And Icarus tells her, I'm not who you think I am. And that's a little bit of a foreshadow. And then all of a sudden we get this flashback, but it's not like a long flashback. It's only flashbacks to six days ago in South Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> Flashback to six days ago. And we've been going back 7,000 years. Whatever. Keep going, my man. (laughs) So we get this like six days ago in South Dakota. And we see this discussion between Ajax and Icarus. They have a discussion before all these present day actions that we just went through took place. And, you know, they learned that together. If they all fight, they may be able to stop the emergence. And Ajax tells Icarus, like, hey, I've never doubted Erisham until now, knowing that, like, Olympia never existed. We're just, like, creations, you know, that he made. And all he's trying to do is get enough energy to blow up this planet and everything in this planet just to have one celestial be born, you know. So, and this is a cool part, too. And this is very, very important. What Ajax says, she tells him first like, that she thinks they could stop this emergence because Thanos himself five years ago delayed the emergence since he took out half of the world's population remember that these uh, celestial emergencies happen because of the energy that's produced by the human population well thanos took out half of that population and since he took out half of that population that's half the energy that the celestial needed to you know come through this emergence so that was where she got the idea from that they may be able to stop the celestial was because of thanos's actions it's kind of funny how that plays in together um this is where Ajax tells Icarus that they have to bring everyone back together and, you know, kind of come... You know, this is the first time that they all of the Eternals will be reunited since that day that Ajax tells them to go their separate ways. And Icarus, like, kind of, you know, non, non-committedly agrees, but says, like, there's something that he has to show her first. 
and they start like walking through this woods and it's like snowing and it's icy and they come across this huge ice pit and there's a group of stray deviants and he tells Ajak, I can't let you betray Erisham. And he throws Ajak into the deviant's ice pit. And keep in mind, Icarus is the only one of the Eternals that can fly. So, you know, Ajak's <laughs> kind of fucked here. So she gets thrown into the deviant's ice pit. They kill her, and the big one absorbs her healing power, which is a full circle from the beginning where the original deviant they fought in London was able to heal itself. And then we see, like, the big deviant that took all the healing powers from Ajak once they killed her also transferred some of those healing powers into the smaller deviants as well, too. So that's why we were able to kind of see deviants having new powers than they initially had, because Icarus had to kill Ajax, so that way they wouldn't stop Erisham's plan from being unfolded, I guess I can say. But I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, quick note, like, where the fuck did that shotgun come from? Like, she picked up a shotgun, a shotgun on the ice... And, like, tried to shoot at it. By the way, she got her ass kicked. So, like, I really don't know why she got her ass kicked that bad. Like, there was no Barristan Selmy. There was no going down swinging. Any of this. Like, she's supposed to be one of the, like, toughest... Like, one of the most powerful ones. And she just got her ass kicked. And I don't even know where the shotgun came from on the ice. I don't know if you could explain that to me. I, I couldn't explain it. Like, <laughs> you saw the shotgun, right? That she picked yeah, up. Yeah, I mean, only thought was like maybe she brought that with her from the farm that they were talking at initially, and like maybe she and had, tossed she it had down it. the cliff or something beforehand. No. Like she knew she would get. The, I don't know. Like maybe yeah. she like just had it like on her body. Maybe she had it, like slung across her back. Like you know, people had bows oh. and stuff. Like I don't know. I I didn't see. It. I'm just I, <laughs> like, honestly I don't know where it came from. I'm just trying to like give them some leeway on top of where this shotgun could have been. From, get no sympathy my, for me my, <laughs> my assumption no, you're right yeah my assumption is that she brought the shotgun from the farm and like that is how it was and like she maybe had it in her hand or had it like on her and when he threw her into the pit like it fell off into the ice and then she picked it up and tried to do what she could with at it. its finest we just right. have weapons laying places <laughs> we just have, back to you man you're killing it yeah <laughs> back to you jay nelly <laughs> so after these deviants fuck up ajak killer steal her powers and she's dead icarus flies ajak's body to the farm which is where we found her early in the movie where icarus told everyone that deviants killed her well, I mean, technically he was right. Demons did kill her, but he's the one that threw her into the fucking pit. So it was really his fault. Um, uh, you know, all of this is still unknown to the other Eternals. Like, Icarus is the only one at this point that knows that he was responsible for Ajax's death. And then we're kind of in the same that same sand spot like I was talking about in the very beginning where Ajax gave uh, Icarus permission to confess his love for Cersei. We're in the same spot now. It's coming back around full circle. And Icarus tells Cersei that he's in love with her again. And, you know, poor Dane. Poor Jon Snow over wherever he's at. Because apparently he's not a big factor in this movie at all until the after credits. But, uh, you know, I guess we're just going to, like, confess our love to each other's women. I don't know. But anyways, it was interesting. Uh, Then we see, like, this golden sphere, the one that allows her to connect with Erisham, starts going a little haywire. And they start to realize that the emergence has begun. And... Makari, again, the one with super speed and the one who's deaf, ends up finding the volcano where the emergence is starting to take place at. And then we have Icarus's betrayal coming full circle. He gets suited up, and like they're kind of wondering, like, what the heck's going on? Like, why are you getting suited up? We haven't really decided what's going to happen yet. And he attacks the other Eternals. 
and he was never going to let them stop the emergence. Like it was his plan the whole time to, you know, stop them from trying to stop it. Like they, they, they don't want, he wants Erisham's plan to come into full effect, which is fine. Except like later, like in a little bit, like that's not longer the case. I don't, man, like that's why it's so confusing. We'll, we'll talk more about it. But anyways, uh, the, the full circle comes out that you know to the other Eternals, and they find out Icarus was the one who was responsible for Ajax's death and what got her killed. Icarus tells them, you will not succeed against me, and I will kill every one of you if I have to. And this is an interesting part, because remember we were talking about how Kingo told Sprite that he would never end up with Icarus, she would never end up with Icarus. Like, her affection for Icarus actually causes her to take his side in this conflict, and she goes with him. So... <laughs> We've got we've got Ajax dead, we've got Gilgamesh dead, <laughs> we've got Icarus and Sprite against the rest of the Eternals, and somehow like this is supposed to be something I don't know. And we got that weird deviant out there that's like Chase said the Frieza and some certain form that can walk and talk. We got to remember. Yeah, him. that's like, like just like the main deviant thing now at this point is just like some side villain. <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> So anyways, we're going to back to like this part where Kingo, the one that does like the the Mumbai dancing, that eternal, he ends up bailing out. He's like, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm not fighting. Like, I'm not, we're not going to win. Like, I'm done. I'm just going to go back and enjoy whatever time I've got left. So Kingo bails out on him. Like, so he's out of there. So we're down to like, I don't know what, six Eternals? (laughs) I don't fucking know. But, uh, you know, they remember the ones that are left, you know, uh, Fastus, Druig, Dina, so they all remember Cersei was able to turn a deviant into a tree, and this is like that weird full circle moment where like they tell her that they need that kind of power again, but she tells them that she can't do it. And that's where Druig, the one that can control people's minds, says, "Don't worry, Cersei, I got this." So we're thinking like, okay, cool, maybe like we don't know who actually is the main hero here. Maybe Druig's able to control the mind of a celestial. If they all do the unimind through him. Well, who knows what's gonna happen? I don't know. No one knows, right? And we get that cool uh, quote that says, when you love something, you protect it. I did th- I like that a lot. Anyway, so now we got this thing where Fastus is going to try and repurpose the sphere that allows uh, Ajax back in the day and now Cersei to communicate with Erishim. He's going to try to repurpose it and use it to connect all of the Eternals to form the Unimind, right? So the remaining quote-unquote good Eternals suit up and get ready for the showdown. And that's where we have a little one-on-one action. I think it was building up to this cool part where we've got Thena and Icarus going one-on-one at each other. And remember, like these two are supposed to be the best fighters out of all the Eternals. Thena, you know, was supposed to be the goddess of war, the Greek mythology of Athena being a god. Like that's why they call her. Mm-hmm. They just dropped the A and called her Athena. So she's supposed to be like you know a goddess of war. And obviously Icarus is known as being the strongest of them. So it's supposed to be this cool badass, you know two of the strongest Eternals. Even, like, even Thena says, like, I've always wanted to try. <laughs> like, I've always wanted to fight you. Like, you might, I might lose, but, like, I've always wanted to see like, how it would go. And so we get that. I still say real quick, sorry, like, in that room where we were with Sprite, where she took his side, it would have been badass, like, when he said, and I'll kill all of you, if they all just tried to take him on at once and then Icarus kicked their ass. Like, that would have been awesome. But passed up another golden opportunity Back like everything else done in this thing too right like so anyways <laughs> uh, we have uh Druig, cersei and makari they start combining their powers 
and that is like where Icarus kind of gets the best of Athena and then flies out after and attacks Druig and he uses like the laser eyes so you don't know you know after this little quick battle between Druig and Icarus if Druig's even alive like, you'd have no idea it looked like he hit him in the chest with like the laser eyes and put him under that big earth dirt pile or whatever so uh, after he kind of makes short work of Druig there Makari attacks Icarus in response and she's kind of whooping his ass a little bit using the the speed and like hitting him hard and like trying to do this but like you can tell that she doesn't have the power to do it like she's got the speed and she's got like the tactics that are doing it but she just doesn't have the strength to handle someone of Icarus's you know abilities and so uh, we see like this volcano start erupting you know the emergence is kind of going along little by little and you know before long we've kind of have three Eternals versus Icarus Right, you know, so we've got three of them fighting Icarus, and he's holding his own until Fastus, which is one of the ones that were, you know, obviously is Makari and Fastus. They were fighting uh, Icarus on the, on there, and they, they were doing the really and Athena. They were doing a good job, and Fastus was able to finally uh, ground Icarus with really cool technology shackles that like held him down. But it wasn't just regular ones that you can easily break out yeah, of. They, cool. they had some weird like power around them and they kind of kept him grounded to the earth and he couldn't move and stop anything from happening so i thought that was pretty badass and cersei is just about to the get to the spot where she can start beginning the unimind like combination thing and sprite takes the form of ajak and you know it was i'll give him that 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 part is kind of cool like oh wait where the hell did ajak come from i thought she was dead and gone like what's going on and it turned out that she used her power to like create an illusion there and literally stabbed Cersei in the back. Like not just figuratively, like actually literally stabbed her through the back mm-hmm. with a knife. And so she's starting to bleed out. And from the clouds, Druig, who was supposed to have been taken out by Icarus, just comes out of nowhere and knocks Sprite out. And, you know, they remove the uh, the knife from her body and she was able to recomposition it to something else. But apparently, you know, I don't know what happened. She's not supposed to have this healing power unless that's something that she gained that we didn't learn about, which would have been nice. But she basically acted like <laughs> she, she basically acted like she was not injured from the stab from the back through the stomach area. She turned it like into water. Like I, I get manipulating the elements, like, but how does yeah. turning into water heal the wound? It doesn't, right? Know. She's supposed to still be kind of hurt from it. Even if you got the the knife out of there, like you were still stabbed and you're still like bleeding out but apparently that's not important i don't know <laughs> it's pretty fucking weird <laughs> but um Jewig tells her tells cersei i can't do this this is your fight now and then we go back into this cave where thena you know we get like that cool part where you know where the deviants were fighting icarus and also i'm sorry like the three eternals were fighting icarus and that huge deviant the last one around comes in and you know takes out athena and athena's fighting that deviant one-on-one in the cave so he came from the fucking clouds out of nowhere like, I don't know where <laughs> like he came what from. the fuck is this thing I even doing in the movie right <laughs> and he's like yeah he's fighting Thena, and you know the deviant starts using because remember he absorbed gilgamesh's power so he's he had, obviously they've already absorbed Ajax's power. Now they absorbed Gilgamesh's power. Apparently he uses Gilgamesh's voice to kind of distract Thena and lure her into a false sense of security. Tries to suck out Thena's powers as well. Then she does some badass ninja swipes and 
cuts the deviant's like body in half and head thing. It was pretty cool. She was able to kill that last deviant and still keep her powers. <laughs> like, I don't know. It happened very it fast. It sounds anticlimactic because it was. <laughs> well, again, I've told you a trillion times the word is anticlimactic. There's no Anti, such word as anticlimactic. But still, it yeah, it was very very like okay, cool. When they, this deviant like <laughs> did all this work to jump in the middle of this battle just to like die ten seconds later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, now the emergence is well underway. Icarus is somehow able to, even though he was trying very hard to break through the chains before, now all of a sudden it's desperation time and he's able to break through the chains at this point, which makes no sense because they're the same chains that held him down for the past five minutes. Who knows? <laughs> Anyways. Screams. <laughs> like screams and buzz through it. Like, Aah! like it's taking all the power in the world. I don't get it. Uh, yeah. Anyways, Not Icarus here. breaks free of the restraints and goes to confront Cersei. But he can't bring himself to strike Cersei. And he starts having flashbacks of their life together. You know, all the time through where their marriage was. Like the happy moments and where he was in love. And then all of a sudden the Unimind starts connecting them. And all of them, including Icarus. And uh, between all of them being connected through the Unimind. Cersei is able to stop the emergence of the Celestial. But like, you know, like and I put in parentheses here, like where the fuck was Kingo through all of this? Like, remember he he bounced out and bailed out. <laughs> he just like stop showing. He's the one with the Kamehameha ball. I thought that would have been badass. Like you have another Shang Chi Dragon Ball Z moment, but I don't know, man. Like, am I wrong? Did he come? He didn't come back during that last battle, right? Like he was gone. Like after he bailed out, that was it. He didn't come back, did he? <laughs> no, he was like. uh I just remember him filming his movie back at the Amazon, which is where they were at, and then you never see him again. By the way, a side note, who's the uh, girl that has hearing issues? Makari. What's her name? Nakari. When she was attacking... Um, Icarus. Uh, I-, I-, I almost said Acrisdis. What's his name? Uh, Icarus. Icarus. Uh, it was kind of like one of those, another Dragon Ball Z moment where like Gohan loses his temper because someone's hurt. So I thought it was cool. Side note. <laughs> That's that's all I pretty much picked up from this because you had people missing in and out. There were people. There's too much jumping into it. And like we'll that's that the thing later. too. It's like with with this emergency thing. Like you would think that they would need Kingo as part of the power of being an Eternal to help stop this emergence. But as far as I know, when he bailed out after Sprite took Icarus aside and flew out with Icarus, like he just left and like he just. Ba- I didn't see him again after that. Like I, I thought I, he was gonna show up again, like make some dramatic appearance where he saved the day, kind of thing. You never saw him. Right. So like, that's what I'm saying, too. Like, like I, I don't remember seeing him either until the very, very end of the movie when he's, like, I'll get to that in just a second. But, like, he wasn't part of the whole stopping of the emergency thing, which, like, draws <laughs> a lot of questions it. to, like, things I have about this movie. But anyways, um, they're able to stop the emergence. Uh, Icarus apologizes to Cersei, then flies off into space and into the sun, killing himself, which I get the... <laughs> I, I, <laughs> The stupidest shit I've I, ever seen in my life. I get. I get. Uh, oh, by I, the way, I, side note. Um, uh, when you said Kingo, remember he said that little mention earlier. He said me and Thor were kids, and then when he became a Avenger, he never returned my phone call. I thought it was funny. Back to you. But yeah. No. So, anyways, let me t- let me take this part, please. Uh, this is like the the story, like the reason why he flew off into space and like got burnt by the sun. I get the reason why they did that. They try to put that into the story of the Icarus that you kind of hear growing up about how he was able to create wings and fly uh, into the air, but he flew too close to the sun and the atmosphere and ended up you know melting the wings with the wax he put together and he fell to his death. So like that was a that was like the story they were trying to pull a reference from. 
but like it was just so random and it was at the very very end of this thing and he actually flew into the actual sun and killed himself because he felt bad for betraying the Eternals but was also part of the stopping of the emergence so he kind of made up for it there I, I don't know man that's what I say it was just so damn confusing about like what they were trying to do with this thing I yeah it was very very weird but uh, anyways <laughs> Sorry. Apparently, the Celestial's name that they stopped from being, you know, emerged was Tiamat. Um, And they, like, froze it. Yeah, they froze (laughs) it. It was, like, froze it or something. Yeah, just like like a frozen thing. And I guess if you you look at it now, it basically looks like part of the landscape or scenery, like a mountain or something of just, like, faces and hands. I don't know, man. It was very strange. But what I thought was really interesting, too, is apparently after stopping this emergence... With only like a number of the Eternals left to help with the stopping of the emergence, she still had enough energy to make an Eternal human because she decided to make Sprite human at that point in time. So I don't know. It's I guess that's we're just gonna have to accept the fact that you know that power didn't consume her to stop a Celestial. She still had a bunch of power left over to help make an Eternal a human. Which is supposed to be impossible because they weren't created as humans. Like, I, yeah. So as you why see, why the fuck are they friends still? She stabbed her in the fucking back. Literally, like, that's what I want to know. Literally stabbed her in the back, like not figuratively. Literally took a knife through her back and stabbed her. <laughs> like I don't understand either, and I think that's some of the issues that we've got with this. But anyways, <laughs> she ends up turning sprite human somehow, and then we get to this like two weeks later back at Fastus's hut. We've got, like, Fastus with his husband and his kid, and also Druig, Thena, and Makari are there as well. Um, you know, we we kind of have this part where they mention, and I think this is going to be a foreshadow going into maybe future works, where they're like, I wonder if other Eternals and other galaxies will accept the truth too, right? Like, you know, that was kind of cool, because, like, obviously this is, like, only one aspect of it, but as we know, Celestial's been being born in multiple galaxies through the beginning of time to where we are now, so... It's a great question. Like, I wonder if the other Eternals that Erishim creates in other galaxies and planets start to realize who they are and, and all that. And maybe that's going to be their next goal and mission is to help other Eternals from other galaxies realize what's happening and try to stop the emergence of other Celestials. I don't know. Maybe that's where they're going with it. But anyways, Kingo randomly shows back up after, after <laughs> bailing. And this is where he helps Sprite pack up her stuff and let her go on her life as a human that that Cersei apparently had energy to create. You know, it's fine. We're picking, we're packing up all the bags, all the clothes, and getting them into the old car. Sprite, I know you're alive for seven thousand years, but just go ahead and live the rest of your eighty years from a teenager onwards. That's all good. You know, I, you know, Kingo himself decided he wasn't going to help anybody, but they are going to welcome him back with open arms, even though after he bailed out on him and just show up to help him pack. Guess that's cool. I don't know, but uh, anyways, uh, you know, towards the end of this, we we get Dane back on screen and he confesses his love for Cersei, which is interesting. Like Cersei's getting people confessing their love from left and right. We have the original, you know, back in the day, where Icarus confesses his love and Icarus again confesses his love, like you know, three quarters of the way through, and now Dane's confessing his love for her, so Cersei's got all the boys bringing the milkshake to the yard, apparently. I don't know. But anyways, like, <laughs> uh, he, he confesses love, and he tells her, like, now that he knows her secret, he starts saying, like, uh, that he has a secret, and that he wants to tell her, but before he's able to share it, we see something that actually is very, very cool and visually amazing on, on screen. We see 
the face of Erisham, the celestial, on the outer orbit of Earth. Like, in its face itself is the size of Earth, which is amazing. I thought that was fucking cool as shit. But anyways, Erisham shows up on the outer part of Earth's orbit, kidnaps Cersei, along with some other Eternals. At first I was like, hey, does he take all of them? Apparently he didn't take all of them. I don't know, but he has a bunch of them in his palm, and they're all like kind of trapped in these ring things, and he says, I will return for judgment. And... Dane, we see Dane definitely is something because he looks ready to fight. Like, most people are screaming and running away from this celestial thing in the outer orbit. His girlfriend just got captured, like, or whatever. The other Eternals got captured, and he looks like he's ready to go to war, which is like, wait, what the hell is this guy? This guy was just teaching, like, history class at the beginning of this movie, so what's going on here? And we're going to find out in just a little bit. But the first after credit scene... Um, apparently they did not or Erisham did not bring all of the Eternals like, and kidnap all of them, only a portion of them because we see uh, Athena, Makari, and Druig still there at, at this weird I don't know, was that like their, their base where they have the suits on whatever it may be, but all of a sudden out of the clear blue sky we've got this drunk dwarf slash elf looking thing appear, his name's Pip he introduces himself and also introduces the brother of Thanos, whose name is Eros, but they he's known as Star Fox. And Star Fox tells them, your friends are in big trouble and we know where to find them. If you guys know who that actor was, it was Harry Styles, who apparently was in One Direction. And now he's <laughs> Thanos' brother. I don't know. Even though um, he looks nothing like Thanos and it was probably a shitload to hire him on for that cameo, whatever. Well, here's the thing. If you guys look in the comics, like he does actually look pretty similar to Eros. <laughs> he looks, like he does look like Eros very, very well as a He's comics go. He's not purple though. He's not purple. Well, like Eros is someone answer that. Eros isn't purple. Eros, like Thanos is. Oh purple. no, 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 no. That's why I'm saying like Eros isn't purple though. Where Thanos is. Yeah, I, I wonder if it's like a half brother or a stepbrother type situation. I don't know. I'm assuming that's probably got to be it. But regardless, anyways, we get this, like, you know, they're, you know, probably where they spent half their damn budget with the actors and actresses in the damn movie. <laughs> and this is kind of the where we star-studded got. cast, man. Yeah, I gotta give them absolutely. that star-studded cast. So that was the end of the first credit scene, as we actually said that quote. And then we get after credit scene number two. We see Dane, our boy Jon Snow, in this, like, you know, room. And it almost looks like a, like a college classroom or something. And... You know, he turns around, there's this locked box, he starts unlocking it, and we start to see, like, there's this special sword, looks like it's got ancient powers, as he goes near it, like, some of the thing starts, like, 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 almost coming towards him, similar to, like, a symbiote, like, when it started taking over, like, someone's hand, like, it started crawling towards him, whatever was on the sword itself, and there was words on the, the box of the, this crazy ancient sword, and the, the words on the box were, death is my reward. And then we get this random familiar voice in the background that says, Are you sure you're ready for that, Mr. Whitman? And that is where we learn, right there, Dane's last name is Whitman. And if you're any sort of comic aficionado, you know that Dane Whitman is the Black Knight. And that is where this movie ends. It was a cluster mess of a lot of things. Uh, Side note here, uh, yeah. sorry not to interrupt you, but that voice, do you know who that voice was? I think it was Nick Fury, I could be wrong, who was it? It's been confirmed, there's a reason, I don't know why they decided, I would have hoped it was Nick Fury, 
has been confirmed in an interview by one of the directors already who that voice was because it was asked uh, that voice the reason they talked about vampires earlier is that voice was blade oh wow that's actually pretty cool I like I actually like that better than the Nick Fury thing so yeah no that's but that's pretty cool interesting like now they're gonna bring vampires into the Eternals world so it's a little strange but I'll let you take it from there, man. No, I mean, the last that, that was it. That was the end of the movie. You know, I know that was a lot of stuff kind of all at you at once. And it was more one of the more in-depth summaries and recaps that we've done. The only issue is, is that it was such a long movie. It was two and a half hours as a movie. You know, it was hard, you know, and it jumped around a lot on its own versus just my quick recap of the jumping around a lot. So, <laughs> so yeah, I guess like my, my next thing is here is we're just going to go into our takeaways of what we thought about the movie, and then we'll jump into our debates and, and close out for the day. But, you know, what were some of the takeaways that you had from the movie? Yeah. Uh, side note to right where we were at at the end there, too. So that sword, um, you know, we're both big Marvel guys, Jay Nelly and I. But that sword, it was great what Jay Nelly said about the whole symbiote kind of thing. Because it's actually called the Ebony Blade. And there's debates whether or not it's the Ebony Blade or the Necrosword, which there's a uh, TikTok video we have on our page about the Necrosword and Ebony Blade, but the Necrosword was wielded by Null, who is the god of the symbiotes, who is the first to kill a celestial by cutting off its head, which you can see that head actually in Nowhere that they go to in Infinity War and also in Thor the Dark World. And then the Ebony Blade is very similar, um, where it uses very similar to symbiotes. So there's questions too whether or not with how we talked about with Venom if they're going to try to use this to also tie in Venom back and forth so it just raises a weird question there uh, takeaways I would say one I, I got to start from the beginning on one of my takeaways some of the acting was really good some of the acting was absolutely terrible well sorry I, I hate to say it but like when they saw the deviant like originally Kit Harrington, Dane, Jon Snow he was like, you know, he was like trying to find out what she was. He was like, "Are you a wizard like Doctor Strange, right?" And she was like trying to cover up her identity. All of a sudden, the like deviant shows up out of nowhere, like this big identity she's trying to cover up, right? All of a sudden, it was kind of Game of Thronesy, like when he was like fucked up in season eight. He's like, "Well, this is who who we are according to Sansa," but like then, uh, like they show up in uh, like what's her name, Sprite. She just goes, oh, my God. Oh, shit. It's a deviant. <laughs> they haven't seen it for, like, thousands of years. I don't fucking know. I didn't have that much of a problem with the acting. Biggest takeaway from this thing, I'll make it very simple. It's too much shit going on. Like, I felt no attachment to the characters because I felt like we didn't have enough time invested in each one. And I love the actors. I'm a big Tomb Raider fan. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. Angelina Jolie, John, uh, Kit Harrington, and Richard Madden. I should have like been totally on board with their characters, and even them. I didn't even care. Like I honestly did not care what happened to any of them because I had no attachment because we didn't get enough relation to them. There were so many Eternals going on. We were trying to find out about so many of them in this two-hour and forty-five-minute movie. I didn't feel bad when one of them died. Like, Gilgamesh, I was like, I, I, he was cool, and it was a sad moment because something died, but at the same time, I was like, all right, whatever. 
We got nine of them left. <laughs> That's literally how I felt. As far as the deviants, like I thought it was, you know, it's one thing if you want to pull this from the comic world, whatever, all right, fine. But at the same time, they have to realize, which usually this is something Marvel does really well on. They have to realize normal audiences that aren't even in the comic interest are watching this. And that's where I, lot, I, lot, I think a lot of people had problems with it was they couldn't even have follow along with the whole deviant and eternal idea. And then on top of that, you could have just made like a straight storyline, even like maybe a couple back flashes. But why the fuck are we literally in present day and then all of a sudden we're going to have a back flash from... 5,000 years ago on a beach like it was really cool CGI was cool uh, there wasn't even a, a lot of explosions but then you're throwing in weird shit like in the Amazon turns into a tree like I guess the whole idea is she's like able to manipulate the elements maybe like Avatar the airbender or something I, I don't really understand it maybe I don't know enough about Eternals or any of that my biggest takeaway from this was the ending scene with Kit Harrington and that fucking sword, him becoming the Black Knight. That was my favorite part. I literally would prefer just to watch that 30 second clip on a, on a TikTok and not ever watch the rest of this film because all I needed to know was Kit Harrington becomes the Black Knight. And I was hoping that's what this movie would be about. If you don't want to make it that way, that's fine. But let me at least feel some investment into these characters. And that's why I think they really messed up. What about you? Yeah, my biggest takeaway like on this whole thing is that they, they try to throw everything together in a big sort of clump and just instead of really explain it, they just wanted to go through it and just rush, rush it all the way through. You know, like... Um, you know, on top of that, we had these interesting romantic interests kind of too. It was, you know, Icarus and Cersei had a thing. And then you can kind of see Gilgamesh and Thena somewhat had like a romantic spark. And same thing with Makari, the one who was deaf, and, and Druig, the one that can control minds. They had like a weird like flirty romantic thing. So like six out of the ten were kind of involved with each other. But like it never explained or expanded on either of their relationships, any of their relationships actually. They were just like, okay, they had some sort of like fleeting affection for each other. Then you have Sprite who longingly likes Icarus from a distance, but you know can't be with him because she's a child even though she's 7,000 years old. It, 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 like what you said there was just, it was, there was no explanation to really draw any sort of attachment to a lot of what was going on there so you know i thought like the romantic interest could have been explained a lot better you know brought it into where it made sense like fina watching gilgamesh die i think what they wanted that to be was like when scarlet witch watched vision die in in infinity war right like it's supposed to be like a big moment like oh my gosh you watched over me we protected each other all this time and now you're gone like that's what they wanted it but it wasn't like that at all. Why? Because you wanted us to follow 10 other fucking characters the whole damn movie and didn't explain a backstory on any of them. I mean, no sense at all. So, um, also, I, the, another problem I have with the movie as a whole is like, how did only a partial group of Eternals generate enough power to stop the emergence of a Celestial? Because I want you guys to keep in mind, Ajak, dead. Gilgamesh, dead. 
Kingo ran away. No one knows where the hell he went. (laughs) Just ran away. He's filming documentaries now. At best, you had seven Eternals, and apparently seven Eternals was enough to generate enough power to stop the the emergence of a Celestial. Then on top of that, that same seven was able to turn an Eternal into a human. It was able to do both those things with only seven out of the ten. That's what you're trying to tell me. You're going to convince me that this big-ass thing, I saw his face in the outer rim of Earth, and its face alone was bigger than the planet. You're going to tell me you're going to stop one of them things by with only seven of you out of the ten, and then still have power left over to turn an eternal human? That you're going to make, You want me to believe that? Like, are you kidding me? That makes no sense at all. Uh, uh, it was very, very frustrating. I felt like I was like a child. Like, Treat me like I was a child. I was just supposed to just believe these weird things because it's cool, right? Um, also, another problem I had is they never showed the development of each Eternal's power and how slash if they changed or enhanced over time. Because as I sit here right now today in this chair speaking to you guys, I do not know all the powers that each of the, Celestia, each of the Eternals had. I've got no clue. Like apparently Sprite can go invisible and make multiple people and, and Ajax can heal and, and Cersei can change the composition of things. Like, is that all they can do? Can they do more? Is there other things that were brought in? Like, I've got no idea because apparently they can do a bunch of shit, but none of it's explained and none of it's like, like drawn up over time. And I don't know if these are, you know, kind of like Dragon Ball Z things where you train up and you gain new powers as you get stronger, or if this is just what they were born with and they're able to do everything from the beginning. We've got no idea because it was never explained. <laughs> it was just never explained like, at all. It makes no sense. I, so that those are like the two problems I have with the film, and you know, there's more than I have just with that. But those are the ones that really kind of stuck out to me. So I guess like, let's kind of go into some of the debates that we have about it as well. I'll let you kind of kick us off with like your first debate, and let's go from there. <laughs> My first debate, I don't even want to have because I don't even know how it like fucking keeps going. Uh, by the way, too, I thought Sprite, I hate to say this, but I thought Sprite was the most annoying part of the entire thing. Like, one side note, like, when she stabbed Cersei, I think they wanted that to be kind of like the moment in Infinity War, like when Thanos stabbed Iron Man. I didn't even care. <laughs> I didn't even care. Like, <laughs> I just, no. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> That's how I felt. Fine. First debate. Now, well... <sighs> I got two. First debate is where do we see this where do we see this going? I think the Eternals are probably going to now because it said Eternals will return, right, at the very end of the movie. I think the next step for the Eternals, do you think they're gonna be brought in because it's kinda like Marvel is trying to establish this whole like someone needs to be able to compete with Captain Marvel, right? And like how powerful she is. Like I feel like uh, uh, Icarus, right? He's almost like it, these were almost like DC characters. Like he's very similar to Superman as like this uncomparable power. Or um, you know, the girl with hearing problems is kind of like the Flash, right? Like, but I feel like with these superpowers, they're trying to get on the level of trying to have something to be naturally competitive with like captain marvel because in a way captain marvel up until this point has really been as far as ability of power and special ability has been above the other ones like iron man love iron man love spider-man love captain america uh but even to the point of like really thor's the only one as far as special ability that can compete with her 
So do you think like these Eternals, they're trying to bring them in to be able to bring it on like a whole nother level? Are we gonna start to see like Celestials are like the villain now? Are Deviants like gonna come into play? Like, what do you think the plan is here? Cause there was so much shit going on it was hard to even tell what their next fucking direction was. Even with like Kit Harrington at the end, like becoming Black Knight. Like, how's that gonna come into play? So my big debate is like, what's the direction here? Where do you see it going? That's a good question, right? Because I mean, just think about what you said there. You you kind of view Icarus as a Superman. Well, guess what? Icarus flew himself into the sun and he's dead now. Like Icarus yeah. is like, like the, <laughs> yeah, the strongest go. of the Eternals is just gone. Like because he decided he's going to kill himself. So that was cool. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> like here's my thing. Like I, I I think I have an idea of the direction they're going to go just based on what they said. Like I wonder if other Eternals from other galaxies will accept the truth. So. My thought process is they're going to pull a Captain Marvel and try to go to other galaxies and help other Eternals stop emergences from their planets. That's why I think that's going to kind of go. I really think the end-all, be-all of introducing the Eternals is that eventually we're going to have this one huge, massive villain, like probably a Celestial, want to destroy everything and we're going to need all hands on deck and so we're going to need the Eternals, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, the X-Men, the Dark Avengers, the Ten Rings, the fucking everyone that that it's going to need to be all hands on deck to defeat whatever this huge thing looming in the distance maybe 10 years from now like in our in our real life span 10 years from now when that, this all comes to a big head and conclusion like I maybe that's the end end direction they're going but i think like in the in the immediate future it's probably going to branch off in the movies where they try to collect other eternals and you know bring them back into the fold by helping them stop emergences on their planets that's that's my thought like i think that's where they're probably going to go with it is that you know we're going to leave earth for now they're in good hands with the avengers they just stopped thanos something bad's happening obviously we had that star fox appearance like the brother of thanos eros come in and you know we've got mm-hmm. this whole thing like hey we gotta get your friends back so yeah they're in big trouble so i'm assuming at some point you know the probably the first thing is we're going to get you know, them on a rescue mission trying to retrieve whatever eternals were taken captive and then after that they probably go to other planets and try to help other eternals stop celestial emergences and you know i think i think it's going to end up being they're going to all come together like I said, 10 calendar years from today of me and you sitting in these chairs of some <laughs> crazy monster celestial, maybe Galactus, maybe Galactus and Erisham together, maybe who knows, maybe they're fighting an army of celestials. I've got no idea. But like, I think that's what the direction they're going to go in is in the short term, they're going to get their other eternal pals back. And then, you know, in the slightly longer term, they're going to try to go to other planets and help them stop celestial emergences. And then in the long, long term, they're all going to come together and try to fight whatever it is that we've got to beat in the looming distance. That's like the heaviest, baddest, craziest villain that we've ever seen. That's what I think. Do you agree? Do you have any other things that you would add to that before we get to the next debate? Or what do you think? Yeah, I agree um, to an extent. I think at some point, like, it'd be interesting to see, if, say, like, because uh, the Celestials created the Eternals. So you start having this war between Eternals that's kicking up and then the final battle could possibly have Eternals that took the celestial side versus the Eternals that chose to save humanity, kind of like how we had with Icarus, right? 
maybe it'll end with the Eternals taking the celestial side, just all fly into the sun. Maybe. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's probably where it goes. I think, I think my opinion, I think we're starting to see more in this Marvel universe that it's going to start being more of the supernatural hero uh, versus which kind of like is really sad in a way because I feel like what's been made Marvel so great is that their heroes are so relatable like Captain America Iron Man like they're relatable to us like even Captain America that has super soldier strength he has all the ideas of someone that has been a normal citizen of the world or even Iron Man like he was a billionaire playboy philanthropist or Spider-Man, you know, he's just a normal kid. And I think that's what makes him relatable. So I don't really have an opinion on where this is going for Marvel. I guess it'll be interesting to see. How do you feel? My issue with the Celestials is I can't find that intimidating because like, how the fuck are you going to kill that? Like, that's like the size of a fucking planet. Like Thanos was perfect in my opinion. Because Thanos, he was still, like, the size of a normal fucking human being. Had all the power in the world with these fucking Infinity Stones. But also, he's a fucking monster beast that, like, beat the shit out of the Hulk. But that's still, like, in my mind, conceptually, that is beatable. Like, how the fuck are you gonna beat something that's the size bigger than a fucking planet and rocket ship? I, I don't know. Uh, my next debate is... Who do you think, do you think, my next debate is, do you think any of these Eternals are going to join or lead the Avengers at some point in time? I don't think they're going like, to join the Avengers and like, oh, here's our new Avenger, Cersei. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I think they may uh, assist them in certain capacities once their uh, problems are solved, right? Like, I, I obviously, I think the first you know order of issue is getting the kidnapped eternals back you know i think that's the first thing and then from there again I, my my opinion is that like they're going to start going to other planets and trying to help um other eternals stop celestial emergencies and then you know who knows maybe if there's like a lull in it they could help out maybe you know uh not give anything away because we're going to jump into this series next week but at the very end of loki we kind of get an idea of somebody that may mm-hmm. they may need to throw some assistance in to defeat, you know, not like the biggest bad, but maybe a little worse than Thanos, but a lot or a lot less worse than the Celestials, right? So like I, I I don't know, maybe they can assist the Avengers in certain aspects, but I don't see them like joining the Avengers and being, you know, oh this is yeah you know, Cersei the yeah. Avenger. That that's what I think. Yeah. I don't know, what about you? Yeah, and part two real quick. Where do you think Black Knight's gonna come into play? Oof, I don't know, but I'm really excited about Black Knight. But since you told me that that voice in the background was actually Blade, I think we're going to kind of get some Blade action. And, and Black Knight is not going to be somewhat, maybe not an apprentice of Blade, but maybe a, you know, if we think about other works where there's like the main person and their immediate sidekick is like a 1 1 A situation, like LeBron and mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade, their first year in Miami, right? Like it's like a 1 and 1 A. Yeah. I think it's going to be something like that, maybe to start out with before he moves into a prominent position. Maybe he joins the Avengers, you know? Who knows? But, you know, I, I'm kind of excited to see where they take that 
you know, with the whole blade situation, if that in fact is, is true. And that was the voice that was in, in that back room. Cause why would he be in there if, if they weren't going to tie in together? Right. Yeah. So that, that's, exactly. that's what I think. What about you? I agree a hundred percent. And that's why I wanted to ask that question. Uh, Cause these two questions go together. I don't think the Eternals will join the Avengers because it goes into the point of what I was saying, these characters being relatable. They're really not because they're so um, on another level with special abilities that humans really can't compare to. What's so great about this Dane guy, Jon Snow, our boy, you know, he was like teaching class or whatever the fuck he was doing. Like this guy, yes, he has some connection to the Eternals, so it allows the Eternals to come into play. But I think he's the one that joins the Avengers. Not maybe not necessarily leads them. That would be I think if anyone could lead them, it's him. He is the king of the north. He is the king of the north. He could lead the Avengers, but I think it would take some time. But yes, I think he goes I think it's gonna that's how they're gonna start to bring in more of the Blade universe and Black Knight. And I, I think that's gonna play a prominent role in with them having ties to the Eternals, but uh, that's why I think, and I think, yeah, the Eternals spend more time trying to track down other Eternals. I think the Celestial thing is stupid, but it looks like that's where they're taking it. So off to you, man, your debates now, brother. <laughs> yeah, I only have one debate for this really. Um, like my, my question is, you know, what could have made this movie better? That's my question and we'll debate about it. Uh, I'll play the tipsy gypsy card on you. How about that? Cash me outside. <laughs> Cash me outside. Remember that from Jay Leno? That I don't no idea what happened to that girl. <laughs> it's weird. Very strange. <laughs> Very strange. Ooh, when I play this card, once or again a reminder, it says you may play the tipsy gypsy card at any time, not whenever. Uncle Jay Nelly chooses any time during the podcast. The podcast host who plays the tipsy gypsy card forces the other host to pour a full drink. Then rapidly consume the entire beverage before answering the current topic of debate. Each host may only play the Tipsy Gypsy card once per podcast, and its power level is over 9,000. <laughs> Ooh, Uncle Nelly. I've been played two times in a row. Two time. Call me two turned. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we know the rules. I'm going to give it Those the old are the rules. Gonna give it the old college try. This one may be a little bit harder than last week's, um, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll do our best. Uh, we will try. <laughs> you can try. <laughs> you uh, can try. All right. Well, <sighs> there's no sense crying over a spilled cauldron. The toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back in. So I guess we better do our best to take this shit down. And I'm going to get myself a countdown in three, two, one, go. See that drink away. See that drink away. Okay. See that drink away. See that drink away. Okay. See that drink away. See that drink away. <laughs> he finished it. Uh, I was about to say, why are we waiting? You crushed it, man. That was, that was badass. How are you feeling? You about to be feeling pretty good? Yeah, I'm assuming pretty soon uh, I will be feeling extra good. Um, yeah, so now that I 
did my duty of taking the card rules to play, it's time for you to answer the debate. What could have made this movie better? Everything. <laughs> Everything could have made it better. <laughs> Every single thing. Uh, what could have made this better? Um, I could have felt more attached to the characters by them not putting as many of the Eternals in. I felt like they didn't capitalize on big moments. Just like uh, Kanga, Kigo, whatever his name was. What was his name? Kigo? Kango? Kingo. Kingo! Kingo just left. <laughs> filming documentaries and actor. He was doing like Shadow Force 5 or whatever he was filming. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they didn't capitalize on Icarus. He could have t- fought everyone in the room. I feel like they didn't know really who was the anti- antagonist i think it was icarus but at the same time you have icarus is the bad guy but then you have the big frieza deviant trying to fight so thena had to fight icarus and the big deviant thing but at the same time then you have cersei that's like the chosen one like the anakin skywalker it's or the luke skywalker that's the chosen one like taking on the celestial and freezing it i felt it was all over the place we kept time jumping back thousands of years. I just don't even know where to start. Like, if where, if where they could have made it better is it could have been focused on building more around Dane. And I he was barely in it. He was, like, what I was looking forward to the most. And we get that one little clip at the end, and I get it. Like, you want to make more money by all off this stuff. And I guess it is called The Eternals, not Black Knight. But... I just didn't care. Like, I thought it was absolutely stupid. You know, she wargs and stays in her warg state, Thena did, where she starts attacking people. Uh, Druig was my favorite part. Like, I thought he, I really felt like his acting was done really well, and I understood the side where he was coming. Salma Hayek, um, I felt like we didn't get enough of her knowing anything that she does. Uh, I have no idea where there were plot holes like just shotguns laying on ice. I thought some of the acting from some of the cast were ridiculous. I thought Sprite should have had a brother named Coca-Cola. I It was ridiculous. <laughs> she shouldn't have even been in the film. She was the most annoying part. Uh, with all that being said, I, I think the answer is um, in so many ways... In so many ways, it could have been better. I don't rank this as... Let's put it this way. If The Last Jedi of Marvel was Iron Man 3, this was definitely The Rise of Skywalker. I'll turn it over to you. Well, I don't think it was that bad. Like, to, to <laughs> I thought that, it was trash. <laughs> okay, after you, after you. To that level, like I, I, would never, I wouldn't call it that. Like, you know, Marvel doesn't have very many misses. And if this was a miss... That's fine. I, I I still would put it like mid level of all the rest of the Marvel films. Like if there's what thirty four, thirty five Marvel films at this point, like I would put it in somewhere around the fifteen, sixteen rate. Like it wasn't for sure, wasn't in the worst ones, but where I think the movie could have done better and things that stood out to me that didn't make a lot of sense is that I think they really should have split this up into multiple movies. I think that's. I think that would have been a really great idea is to kind of build this yeah. up over time, because, you know, if you are able to split this up into multiple movies, you can help the audience draw a connection to the characters, 
this movie wanted to have 10 main Eternals over 7,000 years in one fucking movie. And we were supposed to care about what happened to each one of them? How? Like, especially when you... Already, the movie was long as it was. It was a two and a half hour movie just alone in this one standalone Eternals movie. And in this one standalone Eternals movie, we had no backstory on any of the ten main Eternals at all. We've got no idea what their abilities were, what they could do, what they could not do. Like, with the difference between them ability-wise, like... You know, we, we learned that, yeah, sure, they all consider Icarus the strongest, but why do that? We just accept that. They, they, we don't get to see anything of what makes that real outside. He can shoot lasers out of his eyes and fly. Like, I don't understand. You know, <laughs> we're just supposed to wild, like, blindly accept these things. If they would have built this out into multiple movies and gave us a backstory maybe about each one and then tied it in to this one big Eternals movie, that's what they should have done. Very similar to how they did the Avengers movie. They started with Iron Man, and they went to Thor, and they went to the Hulk. Like They gave us a story about characters that we are supposed to see overcome certain obstacles and trials and care about them succeeding in the future and then build them all into one big Avengers movie. That is exactly what should have been done with this Eternals movie. Like, go ahead and give us, you know, whatever, like, Icarus, number one. I don't care what it was. Like, anyway, like, mm-hmm. like give, give us a movie about all of these Eternals and why we should care about them going forward. You tried, they, they were way too busy. This movie was, uh, there was a lot that tried to just get thrown in there. It was like grabbing some Play-Doh and just throwing it and hoping it stuck against something. Like, like it was cool. There was a lot of awesome moments. Visually looked nice in some parts of it. The Celestial itself looked badass. I can't argue with that. One of the coolest things I've seen on screen ever. It was a Celestial's face coming out of the Earth's orbit. It was bigger. The face itself was bigger than the entire planet. Cool. Like, it was really badass. But I, I got no storyline I got about it. Like you said, we've had no connection to any of the characters. We had two characters die that were supposed to be main characters. And, like, you were talking about, like, Ajak, which is Selma Hayek's character, she was supposed to be the leader of the Eternals, and she died so fast that like, who cares? Like, and then on top of that, all the things that we got from Gilgamesh that would put him in a bright light was that he cared for Athena and made sure that when she went into that weird trance mode, that he brought her back, like from that trance mode. Outside of that, what what else is important about Gilgamesh? Like, why should we care that he's dead? I don't know. And the reason we don't know is because they did not build up these characters from a basis or an origin level. And that's exactly what they should have done. If they wanted to make this movie better, they would have split it up into maybe... If you want to do two Eternals per movie, do five movies. That's fine. They want to do five movies and you know yeah. make us care about two Eternals each movie. Maybe by the time this whole Eternals movie came together, I would have gave a shit because I would have known the, the struggles and where they came from and why they are the way they are today. I would have known about their powers, how they developed them over time, if they developed them over time, or if just Arisham gave them all these powers right from the jump. Like, I have no idea. I have gotten zero clue right now as I say here today how these powers came to be for these Eternals and who can do what and why they can do what. I have no clue whatsoever. So I really think that that would be a huge important part on top of that, like it only showed about five or six flashbacks in the entire film. And in those flashbacks, it wasn't even really a backstory about the characters or showing any sort of progression. It just took us back in time to show us that they were at key events in history. 
That's all. That's the only reason they did that. And to make it seem like all the mythology and legends of Earth can be traced back to these Eternals, right? The story of Icarus, Athena being the goddess of war in Greek mythology, like Tenochtitlan in Mexico with the Spanish conquistadors, Babylon, Macedonia. Like, like all it did was, like, I, I get it. I understand why they wanted to do it. That sounds cool that it can all be traced back to these group of people. But can we get a backstory on what happened during those times? Not just throw us in there when war is happening and just say, hey, okay, well, we'll be here for 10 minutes and we'll jump back to present day. It made no sense at all. They put it in there as a quick, like, anecdote, and that's about it. So, yeah, the end all be all is, like, make me care about one of the characters, show me some struggles they overcame, and do it in multiple movies first before coming together in this big-ass clusterfuck. Because that's what this movie was. It was a clusterfuck of so many things happening at one time, and they just shoved it in our faces and said, look, this is kind of cool, right? And if you like battle scenes and lasers coming out of eyes and visually exciting (laughs) moments, maybe this is the movie for you. And that's great. But for people who watch superhero movies... This was a big miss by Marvel. Marvel could have done that. Mm-hmm. And like I remember two years ago when this movie got announced, I was more excited about this movie than I was about Spider-Man 3. I was like, the Eternals yeah. is going to be the next like big thing. I'm so excited about this. Like, Look at the cast. Look at what they're going to do. Yeah. They're going to fight a Celestial. A Celestial is involved in this. This is going to be crazy. And I was really let down by what we got on screen. And that is my answer to the debate of what could have made this movie better. Do you have any final words before we close up today? No, man. You hit the nail on the head. It was... I I love the idea you thought of of if they had broken up in multiple movies because think of that, too. Think of what a great investment that would have been by Marvel. Like Just like you're building up the Avengers movies, you almost start building up your own franchise in Eternals, and then you merge the two franchises. Like Imagine how big that box office number would have been and who knows now man it's now i think they're on to something in a in a misguided way and that's what i would say so leave it at that yeah i'm I'm with you too it's not often that marvel misses with things and hopefully they can find a way to turn it around to make it exciting make it something that i care about it's just as it is as a standalone movie I was left wanting more. I didn't care about the characters that were there. There was no backstory. I don't know who came from what, how abilities were developed. I don't know anything. And the reason I don't know anything is because they tried to put 10 main characters for me to follow in a two-hour movie <laughs> over 7,000 years. It's impossible. You can't do that. <laughs> it's just not It's not feasible. Uh, they try to do too much in one film. I like the thought process. I love the, the idea behind it. They could have absolutely done over multiple movies and made it a million times better. But here we are. This is what we stuck with. Um, but yeah, I mean, with that, guys, I guess we'll kind of close up shop today. You know, as, as we always kind of tell you, uh, you know, if you haven't done so already, please click like, subscribe, leave comments on any of our links, any of our channels. Uh, we're starting to do some work on the YouTube side of things. So if you see us on YouTube, go ahead and, and comment on that. Go subscribe there. Uh, we're also on wherever you find your podcasts, right? Our host site, Podbean. It's been great to us forever since we started with them. Uh, you can find us on <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Acast. Uh, honestly, wherever you get your podcast, we're there. We've got social media sites and uh, our, our initial site that we started building up from the ground, which is at Official Ridiculous Patronus on Instagram. 
Uh, that translates to at Ridiculous Patronus on TikTok. They're like the same page, but you know, new things are done on each one. So follow each one and follow along with some of the things we got there. I said it last week and I'll say it you know, from here on out. Chase has done a fantastic job building that TikTok page up you know, with the amount of views that we've gotten over a short amount of time. You know, we're really we're starting to make some moves into the social media world, and I know that we had also started a Factor Fantasy page that was specific to the topics we cover here on the show. You can follow us there if you want to. That's at fact underscore or underscore fantasy for both Instagram and TikTok. There, uh, there's going to be content coming out on all ways, shapes, or form of all of this media sites that we have. We also have a Facebook fan page at Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy on Facebook. Uh, yeah, I mean, outside of that, we, we love the fan engagement. So leave us a comment, anything. We'll get back to you. Chase is very, very good about getting back to people immediately uh, when you leave any sort of comment or if you ask any sort of questions. Uh, we reply quickly, and I will give that credit to Chase himself there. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and follow us on all those platforms if you haven't done so already. If you're brand new to the show, now you know where to find us. Outside of that, guys, we're going to jump back into a series format Next week, today was just kind of a standalone movie where we covered The Eternals. Next week, we're going to cover uh, a series where at the very end, we are introduced to a potential big villain. And I won't uh, give anything away there. Uh, But I'm excited to leave this off here today, jump back into something new next week. Because you guys know, as of today, as we close up here, that this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh... Factor Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.